reading from the Song of Solomon. The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfilment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious, and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah the prophet was right about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me all of you and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile But the things that come out are what defile, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, 
licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, do please take your seats. Well, I don't know what you think, but I think this morning we've heard two of the most challenging pieces of scripture that could have been chosen, really, from the New Testament. Why? Well, because what Jesus and James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in these passages are that what we do when we come together on a Sunday morning, all our church going, our worship, our sharing the bread and wine, our listening to the word read and the word preached, and all our prayers could be just a waste of time. It's shocking. When, when I read these passages, it, it's a bit like being hit in the gut. Perhaps one line, better than all the others, sums up the considerable danger, if you like, that we might be in. Mark chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus, quoting the prophet Isaiah, says, In vain do they worship me. Imagine spending your whole life worshipping God in vain. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Well, obviously, we very much hope that that is not the case. But we'd better have a good look at what both Jesus and his brother James are saying here so that we can ensure that our worship isn't in vain. Now, on the face of it, we might be forgiven for wondering why Jesus reacts so strongly as he does. You see, in the Gospel passage, the disciples of Jesus are accused, in verse 5, by the very religious Pharisees of eating without first washing their hands. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a child, my mum was always going on at me about washing my hands before I ate. So aren't the Pharisees right, or was my mum wrong, or is something different going on here? Jesus goes on to accuse them of being hypocrites. And in the second half of verse 7, he explains that the problem with their attitude is that they teach human precepts as doctrines. In other words, they're they're raising up man-made ideas and traditions to the level of God-given commands which they were not. So they were insisting on all sorts of man-made traditional rituals to prove themselves to be godly, holy people. But according to Jesus, their hearts were, were not in the right place. And therefore, their worship was in vain. And this is a danger. It's a trap for all of us that we can fall into. The tendency to exclude people who don't follow our ways and our traditions, who don't behave as we would like them to. And it's a salutary reminder that when we behave like that, our Heavenly Father is probably not very impressed with our worship. By the way, there are two things that I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that church traditions are bad in themselves at all. And I'm not saying... That one kind of church tradition is better than any other kind of church tradition. The wonderful thing about Christianity, about the Christian faith, is that it's above culture. And it finds a home in a thousand different cultures all over the world and looks completely different in each one. 
In a Pentecostal church, for example, a service may not be considered to have passed off properly until a number of people have given words of prophecy and prayed in tongues and interpretations given. In a high Anglo-Catholic church, the Eucharistic prayer may not be considered to have been performed correctly unless a bell is rung at particular points during the prayer and incense is burned around the communion table and the bread and wine. And in the New Testament, Jesus tells us to remember him in the bread and wine. And Paul tells us that we should exercise our spiritual gifts. But we don't have to speak in tongues to be a good Christian or prophesy. And we don't have to ring bells and burn incense in order to share bread and wine. And Jesus was telling the Pharisees in our passage this morning that ritual hand-washing, which is what the subject of the debate was about, was not a requirement for a person to be included in God's family. In the second half of the passage from Mark's Gospel, Jesus addresses a slightly different issue. He addresses um, the issue of the rights and wrongs of eating food that was considered to be unclean. Some religions won't eat particular foods. And, and, And in Judaism, pork was excluded, for example, as well as many other foods. The food laws, though, were given by God through Moses in the Old Testament. So why and how can Jesus simply disregard and set, disregard them and say that they don't matter anymore? Well, Jesus in this passage doesn't give the answer. You find it as you read on in Mark. But luckily, our passage from James does give us enough clues to get to the nub of it. And in the passage from James, we hear of the entire sweep of God's love for the world and his dealings with the world. In verse 17, we're reminded of the great and good creator, the father of lights he's referred to, which is referring back to the Genesis account of creating the sun and the moon and the stars. God makes the whole universe and it is good. Further on, we hear of our fallen humanity, our propensity, in James's words, to sordidness and wickedness, just as Jesus refers in the gospel passage to the evil intentions of the human heart. Murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, folly. And before we start feeling self-righteous about not having committed some of those sins, we must acknowledge that we've probably committed at least half of them. So God has made a good world and we have used our God-given freedom to make a mess of it and our own lives. And so he gives his chosen people, the, the Old Testament, the Torah, the book of the law, through Moses and the prophets. But all the law manages to do is to show up humans' inability to keep the law. The law is there to make people holy, but the people fail. But God knows this is going to happen, and he knows that we're hopelessly dead in our sins, but he has an answer. In verse 18, in fulfilment of his own purpose, he gives us birth, which is new birth, by the word of truth. And we know that the word of truth is a person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ embodies a new law, 
Verse 25 calls him the perfect law which brings freedom. God sends his son to show us what perfection is in a human being and the new son's and the son's new law is summed up in two commandments, isn't it? We know that. To love God and to love our neighbour. In other words, to love God and to love all other human beings. And he demonstrates this to the ultimate degree by literally loving us to death. By giving up his life on a cross for each one of us. Because that is the only way that we can truly be made clean before God. Jesus fulfills all of the need for cleanliness, whether it's given by Moses' law or whether it's traditions invented by man, because we are washed clean by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The implanted word, says James, has the power to save your souls. But now comes the crunch. Because James says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. It's not enough to simply believe at a head level that Jesus has done this for us. Thinking about the mirror, if, if it doesn't change our lives and our attitudes, if we just come to church to do lip service on a Sunday and then we go away and spend the rest of the week completely unchanged by what we've said and what we've sung and what we've prayed then we are deceiving ourselves and, in verse 26, our religion is worthless. So what do we do? We're back to square one again. Our worship might all be in vain. Our religion might be worthless. Well, the answer is, we have to do more than simply believe in Jesus in a head level. We have to get on board with him. Jesus has shown us the way and we have to be in him and him in us, in the very fibre of our being, on the throne of our hearts. We have to follow him to the cross. That's why we have communion every week. We're remembering the one who gave up his life for us and as we share in the bread and wine, we're saying with each other that we are laying down our lives for Jesus and with Jesus. Those who look into the perfect law, says James, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. And James is so wonderfully practical. He could have finished there, but just to make absolutely sure there is no misunderstanding, he tells us in verse 27 that pure godly faith is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, we're to be in the world, embracing those on the fringe, embracing the vulnerable in society, those who we don't consider to be religious, but we're not to become worldly. We're to lead reflective lives, looking in the mirror understanding what we are really like in the light of Christ's death and resurrection, the more we focus our attention on the one who loved us so much that he gave up his life for us, the more we will align our lives with his. The more we will, like him, welcome the stranger, love 
the unlovely, mix with those on the fringe, have compassion on the poor, and see his kingdom come in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and in our communities. Our role is nothing less than to live as if God's kingdom had already arrived in all its fullness. His purpose, James reminds us, is that we're a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, we're to anticipate his kingdom being here already by how we live, by how we love God and how we love others. And we have such an amazing opportunity to do this over the coming weeks and months. We've got three events in September which will touch the community before the Alpha course starts. I've no idea how many people will come to the coffee shop and lunch stop, to the last night of the proms, to the Olympic-themed sports quiz, but it might be well over 100, 150 guests. And then we've got the Alpha course. I'd love it if everybody here who's never done the course before would come on the course, try to free up a Tuesday evening. Come and join us. Or join the friendship group who are doing Alpha on a, Tuesday, on a Monday afternoon once a month. But I also hope that we'll have many guests who are not regular members of St. Matthew's who want to come and explore the Christian faith through the Alpha course. And in September, October and November, we're probably going to have close to 400 guests coming to the baptism services over those three months. The extraordinary thing is that since we brought the baptisms into our main service and asked people to attend church first and come to baptism preparation sessions, the demand is increasing. We, we'll, we still only have one baptism Sunday per month, but we're going to have two services on each of those Sundays, one at 10 and one at 3, to cope with demand. So please... A call to you. We need help to run those services and to be there to welcome our baptism families and their guests into the church family. In addition, we have several Sundays, St. Matthew Sunday, Harvest Sunday, Remembrance Sunday, and then all the Christmas services when we will have hundreds of visitors, probably more than last year, to whom we want to give a really positive experience of church. That means being here for them taking part in the service, serving them, loving them, befriending them. And I think what Jesus and James are telling us through these passages is that what's more important, don't get me wrong, our worship is really important, but what's more important is not the form of our worship, but the warmth of our hearts as we welcome new people and visitors into our church family. Whether that's Sunday morning or in the Alpha Course or Kids Church or one of the events or Baptism Sundays, true religion is following the law of Jesus, the perfect law which brings freedom to love God with a passion and to love one another as ourselves. Amen.